John. Thank you. Now everything's working. Yeah, so, as we get started, it's Easter today. And we're celebrating the fact that there's an empty tomb. And, but let's get a few things straight. We're not here today to celebrate that winter is over. We're not, we're not celebrating that spring is here. Because that's why some people celebrate Easter, by the way. And we're definitely not celebrating a big creepy bun- bunny that breaks into your house and leaves baskets full of candy. We're definitely not celebrating that. I mean, it's really creepy. We were talking about it yesterday, and I said, it's really creepy that a giant bunny rabbit breaks into your house and leaves candy. I mean, that's just creepy to me. And uh, we're definitely not celebrating that because that is, that is creepy. You know, we are here today because we believe, we believe as Christians that Jesus Christ literally and physically was resurrected from the dead. We believe it. We don't think it was something made up. We don't think it was just a story. And we don't think that Jesus got up when he was down. So now we can get up when we're down. Because that's not what the story's about. Because it's not a story, it's his story. See, we believe that Jesus was physically and literally murdered. He was killed. That he was in a grave on Friday afternoon until Sunday morning. I said on Friday that there's no way that Jesus wasn't dead. And it's like, there's people in the world that believe that Jesus wasn't dead. There's people that believe that you could get brutally scourged by the Romans who were good at their job and then was made to carry a cross. So he was physically exhausted, then nailed to a cross and then pierced in his side. And people said, yeah, he took some sort of drug that slowed his heart beat down and he just passed out. And then he got wrapped up in like a hundred pounds of burial cloth and he just managed to be thrown in because this is what happened to a hundred pound burial cloth would have been what would have been wrapped around him. And then he was put into a tomb that would have been cold and then a stone rolled in front of it with a Roman guard on duty. And somehow he woke up, got out of all that cloth Broke out because he was alive. And the Roman guard allowed all this to happen. The Roman guard would have been killed for allowing that to happen. They took their job seriously. So Jesus was definitely dead. He was definitely in a tomb that was sealed. And the reason they would seal it is so that nobody could remove the body because the last things they wanted was a man who claimed to be God 
to raise from the grave. And what happened? He rose from the grave. He rose from the grave. You see? And we don't just believe that as Christians. We have to embrace that. Because I say, this is the central part of Christianity. The cross and the resurrection are the central part of Christianity. Without them, we have nothing at all. If you take out the cross and you take out the resurrection, we may as well go for breakfast right now and never come back to church again. Without them, Christianity is nothing. And by the way, there's a lot of places, there's a lot of people that profess to be Christian that want to take out this part of of the Bible. They want to ignore that this happens because here's the thing, if we accept that Jesus had to die for us, we have to accept what? That we're sinners. And we don't want to say that we're sinners. We don't want to say that there's evil in the world. We want to pretend, not we in this room, I hope, but but the world wants to pretend there isn't such thing as evil and that everything just happens. But that's not what the Bible says. See, if Christ literally was raised from the grave, then we have all the reason in the world to have hope and to live transformed lives. See, if we believe this, that Jesus rose from the grave, then it should transform you. It should transform me. I should not be the same person as I was a week ago, a year ago. 20 years ago when I first met Jesus and he found me when I was lost. See? See, the Bible says if this is not true, if the fact that Jesus rose from the grave is not true, and he isn't a physical being, then we should be pitted most of all people. We should be pitted most out of all people. So, let's start. But on the first day of the week, at early dawn, They went to the tomb, taking the spices they had prepared. And they found the stone rolled away from the tomb. But when they went in, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. While they were perplexed about this, behold, two men stood by them in dazzling apparel. And as they were frightened and bowed their faces to the ground, the men said to them, Why do you seek the living among the dead? 
He is not here, but has risen. Remember how he told you while he was still in Galilee? That the Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men and be crucified on the third day and rise. And they remembered his words. And returning from the tomb, they told all these things to the eleven and to all the rest. Now it was Mary Magdalene, Joanna, and Mary, the mother of James, and the other women with them who told these things to the apostles. The grave is empty. Do you know what's amazing about that story? That, that this is a book that's over 2,000 years old. The New Testament part, okay, is around 2,000 years old. And in that time, in that time, a woman's witness in a court case was not acceptable. They wouldn't listen to a woman make any kind of claim. She could not act as a witness. So what does God do? See, anybody who says that God isn't about women is a loser. Because here's the problem, is God chooses the first people he shows that he's not at the tomb and has to be the first witnesses to this are women. God uses women. They're not even allowed to testify in court case. Yet God chooses to use them as his first witnesses. How amazing is that? God is all about women's rights. Just let's get that straight right out the gate. He is all for women. I mean, we can go back to Genesis if you want. When he tells that the, the seed is through the woman. He doesn't say the man. He actually talks to the woman. He says, your offspring. So, we have an empty tomb. We have an empty tomb. Jesus is not there. Do you know what's curious? Is there's people that pay to go see the tomb where Jesus supposedly laid. There's two supposedly spots. Okay. Do you know what's funny? For the first 200 years of Christianity, guess what nobody did? Went to the tomb where he was supposedly buried. Do you know why? Because he wasn't there. Just like he told, the angels told the ladies, why are you seeking the living with the dead? You see, it wasn't till around 200 years after that people got fascinated, and that must have been when the tourist industry boomed, you know, and they thought, hey, we can make some money here. We can, we can open up the tomb where we say supposedly Jesus laid here. I'm just saying, it's just curious to me that for 200 years, not one Christian wanted to go see where Jesus was buried. Why would they? They serve a living God. Now, I would love to go to Israel. And if I happen to, 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 
to go along a spot that Jesus was supposed to, I might visit it. But I would actually just want to go where he walked, to see where he walked. You know, that would be the cool thing to see. I know he's not in a tomb, so there's not going to be anything there for me. I don't think there's anything there for anybody. Because the tomb was empty. And if it wasn't important to the first disciples for 200 years, why should it be important to us? It shouldn't. Luke goes on to say, But these words seemed to them an idle tale, and they did not believe them. That's what you get when women tell men stuff. They don't listen. (laughs) But Peter rose and ran to the tomb, stooping and looking in. He saw the linen cloths by themselves, and he went home marveling at what had happened. That very day, two of them were going to a village named Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem. And they were talking with each other about all these things that had happened. While they were talking and discussing together, Jesus himself drew near and went with them. But their eyes were kept from recognizing him. See, it doesn't mean he didn't look the same. It meant their eyes were kept from recognizing him. And he said to them, What is this conversation that you are holding with each other as you walk? You know, this is where I know that Jesus has a sense of humor. So Jesus has got to have a sense of humor because he's like, I'm going to play on this. I'm going to play on this. That you are holding with each other as you walk. And they stood still looking sad. Then one of them named Cleopas answered him, Are you the only visitor to Jerusalem who does not know the things that have happened there in these days? And he said to them, What things? And they said to him, concerning Jesus of Nazareth, a man who was a prophet. And you know, these people that followed him, by the way, said that he was God. But now he's just a prophet because he died. Mighty indeed and word before God and all people. And how our chief priests and rulers delivered him up to be condemned to death and crucified him. Moreover, some women of our company amazed us. They were at a tomb early in the morning. And when they did not find his body, they came back saying that they had even seen a vision of angels who said that he was alive. Some of those who were with us went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said. But him they did not see. And he said to them, O foolish ones. And slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Was it not necessary that the Christ should suffer these things and enter into his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted interpreted to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. 
So they drew near to the village to which they were going. He acted as if he were going further. But they urged him strongly, saying, Stay with us, for it is toward evening, and the day is now far spent. So he went to in to stay with them. And when he was at the table with them, he took the bread and blessed and broke it and gave it to them. And their eyes were opened and they recognized him and he vanished from their sight. They said to each other, did not our hearts burn within us while he talked to us on the road, while he opened to us the scriptures? See, the whole Bible is about Jesus. See, from the beginning, you see, by the way, the New Testament wasn't written when Jesus is telling them about him. We only had the Old Testament. Jesus is taking them through the whole Old Testament and say, look, this book is about me. Yes, there's stories about these other people, but in every story, I'm the greater. I am the greater. We just studied Hebrews, and that's what Hebrews is all about, saying Jesus is the greater Moses. Jesus is the greater Adam. Jesus is the greater David. It's all about Jesus. Every single character in the Old Testament that, is, that we look up to as godly characters Jesus is the better. Jesus didn't sin in the garden. See, Adam was tempted and he sinned. Jesus was tempted and he didn't sin. See? Jesus is the story. Yes, it's lots of different books. But there's one story. Lots of different authors. One story. The Old Testament, for us, mainly says, look, you suck. Nothing you do is going to work. Nothing you do is going to help you get into heaven. Nothing you do will build a relationship between God and you. I'm going to send one. And if you believe that, the day will come when you will be resurrected. That is what the whole book's about. That we have to put our trust in God, in Jesus. Because he is the story. That's why it's called history, because it's his story. You didn't know that, did you? Goes on to say, and they rose that same hour and returned to Jerusalem, and they found the eleven and those who were with them gathered together, saying, The Lord has risen indeed and has appeared to Simon. Then they told what had happened on the road and, and how he was known to them in the breaking of the bread. As they were talking about these things, Jesus himself stood among them and said to them, Peace to you. But they were startled and frightened and thought they saw a spirit. And he said to them, Why are you troubled and why do, 
do doubts arise in your hearts? Because now, he isn't just fully man, fully God. Now he is fully God. So he knows all things. Nothing has been withheld from him. He's not chose to not know anything. He knows all things at this point. See my hands and my feet. That it must is I myself. Touch me and see. For a spirit does not have flesh and bones as you see that I have. And when he had said this, he showed them his hands and his feet. And while they still disbelieved for joy, for joy and were marveling, he said to them, Have you anything here to eat? They gave him a piece of boiled fish, broiled fish, and he took it and ate it before them. See, Jesus is truly alive. At first they thought maybe he's just a spirit. I mean, because the other story says he breaks bread and then he disappears. He doesn't eat nothing and he keeps disappearing and he keeps appearing. What do they too think? They're like, oh, this is a little spooky for me. This is like Twilight Zone stuff going on. What are we going to do? So then Jesus, to reassure them, to reassure them, not that he had to, he said, I'm going to show you how real I am. Give me some food. I need to eat. He goes, you know, I've not been eating for a while because I died on Friday. And a bit of fish sounds good right about now. So he ate with them. That's amazing because that shows you that Jesus was truly alive. At this point, you know, he, he showed himself to quite a few people. You know, and they keep seeing him. And they keep recognizing him. Okay, so this isn't some sort of mass hallucination where they took some magical drug and they all hallucinated the same hallucination. And by the way, if you've never done drugs, that's not how they work. Everybody has different hallucinations, trust me. So Jesus is truly alive, which is what we need him to be. Because, by the way, if he died for our sins, but was never, ro- never rose from the grave, what point was that? That means, yes, our sins are forgiven, but there would be no resurrection for us. The reason we have resurrection, the reason that we have eternal life, isn't because he stayed in the grave. It's actually because he got out of the grave. So we have everlasting life. Because of what Jesus did for us. That's amazing. No other religion thinks like this. No other religion. See, here's the thing about Christianity. Here's the thing about Jesus. By the way, did you know that most major religions acknowledge that Jesus was a real person? Do you know that he is actually in the Quran? Yeah. So Jesus was a real person. So what are we going to do with this real person? 
You see, it's like we either have to say, like C.S. Lewis said, I said it a couple weeks ago, that, that he's a lunatic, okay, in the form of a boiled egg. He has to be the devil himself or he is Lord of Lords. See, and, and, and at this point, I'm going with Lord of Lords because he just got out of the grave. He got out of the grave and is truly alive. That is who we celebrate today. We don't celebrate an empty tomb. We don't celebrate a dead Savior. Just like Dave said when we did communion, you can go to any major religion and find their grave of their so-called leader. We can't. And you don't think that the Romans and all the priests, the Jewish priests and, and Pharisees, didn't want to prove that Jesus had just, the, the disciples stole his body or something happened. And you know they didn't steal the body because they don't want to, the, all this. So there's too much like evidence there to say, who would have done that? Nobody would have gained from it. And I'm telling you, the Romans didn't conquer the world by being stupid. They were smart. So they would have hunted down. Probably it would be a scary time to be a Christian, especially a disciple who was claiming that Jesus rose. Because they probably was coming after you to say, where did you put his body? And they've got to say, he's alive. I don't know where his body is. He keeps disappearing. He shows up, he eats some fish, breaks some bread. And every time he does that, he's not here anymore. But he's alive. I touched him. I put my fingers in his holes, in his, in his wrists and in his legs. So to say... That he was just a good man is not even an option. So he has to be, to me, and hopefully to you, he has to be Lord. He's not just Savior, he is Lord, Lord of your lives. He goes on to say, Then he said to them, These are my words that I speak, spoke to you. While I was still with you, that everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. Then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures and said to them, Thus it is written that the Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead. And that repentance for the forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all nations, beginning from Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things. And behold, I am sending the promise of my Father upon you. But stay in the city until you are clothed with power from on high. This is a promise that... The Holy Spirit is going to come upon them so they are going to have the courage and the strength and the knowledge to do what Jesus wants them to do. 
This is a promise that from this day forward, you will not do this alone. You will always have me with you. Because I'm going to send this power. God is going to give you this power. And then that begs the question, what happens next? That's going to be actually next week's sermon, but we're going to talk a little bit now. Because we're going to go from his purpose to our purpose. Because if this is all true, what we've been talking about for the last five weeks, okay, what does that mean for us? What does Easter do for us? How does it change us? What is our purpose? See, Jesus died. But he didn't die so you could just say a a sinner's prayer and, hey, I'm saved, I can go act a fool because I'm saved, I can do whatever I want to do. That's not in Scripture. That isn't being a Christian. That isn't following Jesus. You can be a fan of Jesus. You can go, wow, Jesus is a cool dude. I can really get behind him. I like some of his cool sayings. They're pretty good. They teach you how to treat people nicely. And you should, this is how my sister thinks, by the way. You should, some of them things are good and we can use them and it will make me a better person. Because she actually listens to my sermons, by the way. So every time I throw her in, she hears what I say about her, by the way. Just so you know. Uh, She listens to my sermons because this is what she says. She goes, you know what? Do you know what I like? Ed, you always make it so I can apply the stuff that you talk about in my day-to-day life. And actually, she went back the last time she was here in November when she came for the week. She's, ever since then, she's, she's, because I told her some people need extra grace. So she actually applies that to her life. She doesn't believe in Jesus, but she applies extra grace to people's lives. She listens to the sermons and she goes, yeah, I take some of the points you say. I just take them and I apply them to my life and it makes me a better person. And then we have a discussion and that happens. But the thing is, is we are supposed to be better people. Not because we're capable of it. Because you can try and try and try. And guess what? You're going to mess up. You're going to mess up. I'm going to mess up. We can't be good people. All of our best works. Our best works are like a filthy rag according to God. Do you know all the stuff that we do that's good? That we don't want credit for? Guess what? We aren't even doing it. The Holy Spirit. That gift that he gave us, is doing it through us. We can't take any of the credit. You see, here's the problem. That's the problem with doing good works. If you say, hey, I do this good, and I like it because people pat me on the back, makes me feel good, guess what? Your reward is the pat on the back. Your reward is saying, Good job, keep it up. 
Thanks for the donation. That's your job. That's what you get. You get gratification from that. See, the only time that we do stuff where it's not selfish and we're not doing it with a, 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 a well done or, wow, look at them. They're such a good Christian. They do all of this stuff. And how hard is that? How hard is that to do stuff and not want to be praised for it? How hard is that? That's hard. That's why we struggle so hard with actually following Jesus. Because we're just supposed to do it because we, we can. Because God allows us to be part of his kingdom. None of you belong in heaven. None of you. None of you are good enough for heaven. None of you will ever be good enough for heaven. Do you know what you're good enough for? A little oil spot on the ground because of your sin in your life. That's what you're actually good for. But Jesus died. Jesus rose. Now when God looks at you, he doesn't see you. He sees Jesus. And God says, well, that's, I see my son there. Come on. We're supposed to be works in progress. If we are the same today as we was a week ago, what good is the faith that we say we believe in? We say we believe Jesus. We say we come to church. It's Easter. We celebrate his life. We celebrate his death. We celebrate that he was risen from the grave. But if that's where it ends, it's amazing that God wants you to work for him. God wants to use you. He wants to. I mean, that blows my mind. We, me and my dad were reminiscing and I was telling him, yeah, when I was a kid, I, was, I, I, was a, I, I liked to burn stuff. So we were talking about how I, he left some Catherine wheels in, the, in, in this little area in the, in the garage, and I found them. That's the, I don't know what you call them there. You call them some owls, and they go on a, a, you put a nail through them, and they spin when you light them. They're supposed to be on a stick with a nail through them, so they spin. Not this man. I think it's a good idea to go in a dry field and see what happens when you light one and just throw it. Well, I'm telling you, it's not good. It goes, and starts a lot of fire. Luckily, they didn't catch me. I'm confessing it now. That one I didn't get caught for. But it got put out and nobody got harmed. So, but, but, so I know me. I know all the stuff I've done, and that's, even not, that's not even a bad one. So, so I know all the stuff I've actually done before I was a Christian. So I go, God, you saved me from that? How can I not want to serve you? How can I not want to give you the rest of my life? Because you should have just killed me for being an idiot. But he didn't. He saved me. And by the way, he saved you. You might not have horrific stories like that. But I'm sure some of you do. 
I'm some, some of you have misbehaved throughout your life and got some stories that you would not want everybody to know about you. And God said, look, I forgive you. Not because you are good, not because you could do anything, but because my son did everything. That is what the promise is. So this is what happens next. We change. We start doing stuff for God. We go, look, I only have X amount of time left on this planet. What can I do for you, God? How can I serve you? How can I use what you give me to glorify your kingdom? So at the end of the day, heaven's fuller because you allowed, to, you was, you allowed God to use you. And that is what we're going to talk about next week. We're going to read Acts 1 through 11 this week. Because this is like a close-up version of the end of the book of, of, of Luke right before the uh, ascension. Okay? And it's our purpose, the work of Easter. You see, Jesus did the work of saving us. But if he just saved us, just to save us, why are we still here? Why would he leave us? On this fallen planet. Why not when he saves you. Just take you. Because that would be an easier thing for me. I mean if God said. If I said. I accept you as my Lord and Savior. Zap. I'm with him. No more pain. No more suffering. That would be amazing. That would be amazing. I turn 53 tomorrow. And I can hardly walk on my hip. It pops out. I'm hopefully seeing a doctor that's going to do something about it. Or God's just giving me the strength to keep going on. And that pain wouldn't be there if Jesus took me. Dave suffers from pain constantly. If he had accepted Christ and went to heaven, he would have knew, but he wouldn't be using crutches anymore. You know? But God leaves us here. And he allows us to go through this part of life. Because he's not finished. He wants to use you for something. He doesn't want you to just sit idly by waiting for the time that you die and get to go in his presence. That's not what he wants. He wants to use you. But you've got to allow him. And we're going to talk more about that next week. Let us pray. Dear Heavenly Father, I thank you for today. I thank you that you are an awesome God. And that you are our Savior. That you did put on flesh, lived a life that we could not live. You died a brutal death that we all deserved. But as we celebrate today, today... There is an empty tomb. Today, we can say, we are going home with you one day. Not because of anything we've done, but because of everything you have done. 
We thank you for that, God. We thank you that we can say, you are alive and living in our lives today and forever. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.